Hello and welcome to Crime Time FM. I'm Paul Burke and I write about crime fiction. Today my guest is Lauren North, author of Safe at Home. Her latest psychological noir is set in a small village, not unlike the one she lives in. But given what happens, we are reliably informed. Its people are not like the troubled characters in the book. Hi, hello, Lauren. Lovely to have you on Crime Time FM. Hello, thanks for having me. No problem at all. Let's start with reading then. Let's go back to the beginning, if you like. Um, Were you always a big reader? Yes, I always was. I used to go to these holiday camps because my mum was a full, used to work full time, would dump me in these holiday camps. And the staff would always say at the end of the day, you know, she's she all right because she's just been reading all day. She literally hasn't moved from that chair. And my mum would be like, that sounds like a perfect day to me. So, yes, I have always been a reader. Nancy Drew, Enid Blyton, you name it, I read it. Who were your influences? That is an interesting question. I think, as I said, I loved um, the mystery books of Nancy Drew. And I think when I was growing up, there wasn't such a big young adult um, genre. You know, YA hadn't really taken off. And so I went from reading children's book in my mind to then reading Stephen King and John Grissom so when I was sort of 12 I was scaring myself quite silly reading um, Desperation and Misery and Pet Cemetery. and I feel like that probably had quite a big influence on um, my own darker fiction now. Yeah interesting because I think that's a way of, I was going to say you know are you interested in other psychological fiction but actually that is isn't it if you're talking about Stephen King. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's, I love his books and I love his writing and, and uh, he really throws away a rule book, doesn't he? And he often mm. uh, weaves into horror and supernatural quite easily, uh, which I haven't done yet, but you never say never to these things. I think my editor might burst into tears if I added something supernatural. Oh yeah, I can see that. I mean, people have a certain expectation, don't they? Just thinking, um, you also like talking about books. Is that sort of like just sharing the experience? Oh, yeah, I love to be able to talk about books. And uh, I think I've got a, I think lots of authors have got a WhatsApp group with a group of friends and we're constantly chatting and sharing books. And on my own podcast with Leslie Cara in Suspense, we love, one of the questions we always ask is, what are you reading to our guests? Because I think um, I, the most of the books I read come from recommendations rather than anything else. And so I love to also then recommend a book. Um, If I've read a book that I've really enjoyed, I'll be shouting it from the rooftops. Oh, so it's not just about sharing your own thoughts then. It's about getting new ideas for books and things as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, I rely very heavily on my friend Laura Pearson for um, book, book recommendations. She's a ferocious just read and reads a book a day, which I definitely don't have. I don't, I I can never manage. Uh, But yes, especially on, I love audio books as well. So I've often got about three books on the go, one on my Kindle, one paperback and one audio book as well. Oh, right. Yeah, because it's very difficult when you're a writer to be a reader as well, you know, because of the amount of time you have to spend. Yeah. Um, You studied psychology and you worked in London for a number. Actually, that's a That's a very loose term, isn't it? Studied psychology, engineer. It doesn't mean anything in that context. Tell us a little bit about that. But what I'm wondering about is how that features in your writing. Or does it significantly feature in your writing? 
Well, it's an interesting question and one I get asked, and you're absolutely right. Uh, Psychology is quite a loose term, and I only studied it to a degree level. So I never went on to study clinical psychology or educational psychology. Um, I would say that I went to study psychology because I have uh, an innate fascination with the human mind and specifically why people do things um, when others might not do. So if you put two people in the same situation, one of them's going to react one way, one of them's going to react to the other. Why is that? And I find that really fascinating. So I think it's not so much that my psychology degree bleeds into my writing so much as I've always had this interest and so fed it with a psychology degree and now feed it with my writing, if that makes mm. sense. No, it does. Absolutely. Do you think that time working in other fields sort of adds to your ability to be a writer, though? Do you think it sort of um, enhances your writing, if you like, life experience? Yeah, absolutely. I think life experience is um, key for being an author, but you can make stuff up and we all do. So um, I, um, I don't worry too much about it now. I never really enjoyed working in London and being employed by a company, if I'm honest. I was always tinkering away with some manuscript. My best trick was to arrive at the office first and uh, send a few emails so people knew I was in. And then I would spend a good few hours writing my manuscript and then (laughs) would look like I'd been working really hard when I hadn't. So I probably wasn't the best employee either. (laughs) Um, But there is, I mean, I've worked in public relations and I've just written a book that's had someone in public relations. I think just talking to people, being out of the house, yeah, learning what they do, that all makes a difference. And often a conversation I'll have with someone in passing will make it somehow into the book. Mm. So you did always want to be a writer then? Oh, yes, I think so. I I mean, I did when I was younger. I used to write books all the time. And I sent my first, um, I wrote a story about um, a pea family. And uh, I sent it to the Oxford University Press um, and got a rejection at the age of nine years old. So uh, they did send stickers, which I think is always nice to receive stickers when you get rejection. So they were Um, polite about it. Yeah, yeah, they were very sweet. Um, and then I think, you know, in your teenage years, you don't really think about uh, a career as an author. You get sidetracked by other things. Um, but I think when I then found myself working in a job I didn't enjoy very much, it, uh, that passion to do something different really reignited and I quickly started writing. Mm. You started writing, actually, romances and other things, and then your writing got a little bit darker and you turned to crime. I mean, is that is that sort of your worldview, if you like? Is there a reflection oh, okay. of that? Yes, I think so. I think when I first started writing in my 20s, I was um, reading lots of romances and I was looking for love myself. And so for me, and it was a genre that I'd, I'd read uh, prolifically in for years and years. And so certainly had a huge influence. And then I got married and I had children and... I was still writing romances then, and but then it became women's fiction. So I wrote two romances, and then I wrote two women's fiction, which didn't involve relationships, but involved friendships. And I think if you look, it just felt to me that each book was getting darker and darker until I've landed in psychological suspense. In fact, the last book I've written has gone even darker. So I think my editor is like, hmm, you've taken a slightly different turn here. So I don't think I can go much darker unless I veer into horror, which I have no plans to do because I do like to sleep at night. Yeah. So you have found your true home, though. I have indeed. Yes. Yeah. So when you write a book uh, like Safe at Home, you, you hinted at this, actually, but I think it's worth pulling out a little bit. You, what are you looking for in the book, in any book, in fact, 
when you're writing about um, your characters, what is it you're trying to explore? Because I think there's a central theme there, isn't there? You hinted at it earlier. Yeah, I think for me, um, when I start, I sit down to think about what book I'm going to write and what ideas I've got. I look for the idea that excites me, the idea that is a book I want to read. It's always what I want to write is what I want to read. Um, And yeah, as I said, I think I'm always interested to know how different people react in different situations. And the first three psychological suspense novels all involved mothers and children and Mm -hmm. their, their relationships and what can go wrong in in situations and that's something that's quite close to my own personal life and it's it's reflected in my writing uh, but my fourth book actually doesn't involve children so that's going to be it's a ah, slightly different okay. turn for me but yeah I do think that um just exploring how normal people the, you know the 2.4 families uh, people that we all can identify with how mm. they are going to react if you put them in the worst possible situation you can think of and uh, I think you if as a reader you can identify with them and you think well god would I have done that no I would never have done that so um, it's interesting to see how people will react yeah I think that's very true I think the other thing that you get in the book is is the way you layer it on in a sense it's not just one dilemma it's a dilemma on top of a dilemma on top of a dilemma and it really starts to pull at the characters and see how they react in that situation um So anyway, this is a really good point. Tell us about um, Safe at Home. So Safe at Home is a novel about an anxious mother, Anna, who is sort of bullied by her husband and other children to sort of try leaving her child at home alone for 20 minutes. And her daughter, Harry, is 11 years old. She's off to high school soon. And at some point you need to give her that independence. So reluctantly, Anna leaves uh, Harry at home while she pops to collect her other daughter from gymnastics. It should be a 10 minute journey, 10 minutes there, 10 minutes back. Um, And it's eight o'clock at night, it's dark, but it's okay. It's not for long. They live in a really safe village uh, where nothing bad ever happens. And on the way home from collecting her daughter, a lorry turns over in the road and uh, 20 minutes becomes five hours where a frantic Anna can't reach Harry, can't get hold of her, can't get to her. So there's a lot of tension and panic in that opening scenes. Uh, But when Anna does eventually get home, just gone midnight, she finds Harry asleep in bed and thinks to herself, oh, I just overreacted in that situation. Everything's fine. But the next morning she realises there's mud on the kitchen floor. The back door's open and unlocked. Someone's been in the house. Uh, Harry's got bruises on her that she won't explain. And it's very clear that something bad did happen in those five hours. And Anna takes it upon herself to find out what happened because her daughter won't tell her there's something not right. So the reader uh, has it from Anna's perspective with trying to uncover what's happened. But also you see Harry's lost five hours sort of split up into sort of 10 minute sections throughout the novel and and also Harry in the present as well and and what she's getting up to. So uh, the the reader eventually gets given all the information as you do go through the book. But um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed writing it, I would say. Yeah. I mean, and that's, you've given us the surface, I would say, of the novel. That's the basic, the basic start. Of course, the problem is we can't talk about what's under the surface, otherwise we start spoiling the experience with people. So we'll go at it from an issues point of view. Um, I'm curious, you said something there that, that kind of uh, struck me, that Anna was kind of coerced into this decision, and that's true in a way, isn't it? You know, there's a little bit of nudging away from the children, and as her husband says, oh, what the heck, it will be all right, it's only 20 minutes. And everybody says that that deadly phrase, nothing will go wrong. 
Yeah. And of course it really does. It's, it's playing on the kind of fear that we all have. So you, you're drawing parents into the novel with this very much, I think, as a start. I'm just wondering, is this where the idea for the novel kicked off with you? Because sometimes it can be character, you know, sometimes. Was it specifically this idea that drove the novel? Yeah, and it was exactly this scene because my own son right. was 10 years old and wanted to be left home alone for 20 minutes while I collected my daughter from gymnastics. So you can see um, yeah, right. very similar. And we live in a very safe village. And he said to me, what's the worst that could happen in those 20 minutes? And so obviously my mind went into overdrive and I said, well, let me tell you what's the worst that can happen. And that really <laughs> became the premise of the book. Um, yeah, so there's a lot to explore there. But I think... As parents, and maybe I don't obviously don't know about the dads, but from a mum's perspective, you do feel certain pressures to do things at certain times for your children and allow them their freedoms. And it isn't always something you feel comfortable with, but you almost feel sort of peer pressured into it because so-and-so's child's doing it. And yeah, I think that comes across in the book, hopefully. Yeah, and children get that idea very quickly, don't they? Oh, look, Mark lets his mother says it's okay, you know, and then you've got that pressure on you again. Yeah. So this is very much about Anna and the three girls, the two older girls in particular, the, the twins, you know, yeah. um, but they're the focus of the novel. But actually, I thought Rob was a brilliant presence off the page because he's so much a catalyst for things that happen. And, and there's her backstory. Again, we won't tell people about that, but there's a backstory how they wound up in this village in the first place. But the point you make there is, is really true. This is a novel about motherhood and family, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, I. Anna, in effect, is a single parent because Rob is working away on an oil rig. So he's very much removed from the situation. But he has these weekly calls with his kids and and Anna. uh, And he keeps trying to, like, give them some parenting and sort of get involved in the decision making. And she finds that very frustrating because he's not there for it all. Mm. He only sees them in this 10-minute block where they're really excited. So, yeah, I wanted to have a situation where... You have the support of a partner, but not really, I think. Um, so she really was on her own. And you have the extra pressure of him referring to her as a worry wart, which she hated. Because I, I, I hate that term as well. Mm. You know, It's so hard when you're anxious and you worry about something and then someone tells you, to, oh, don't worry about it. I was yeah. like, oh, thanks so much. That piece of that advice. Really helped, oh, yeah. I'll stop worrying <laughs> as if that's going to really make a difference. So, yeah, I tried to get all that in the book. Yeah, because it definitely comes across it. I mean, she is almost a one-parent family, mm. you know. And and one of the problems with that is, of course, that all the pressure comes back on her. Um, and that sometimes that's, you know, the situation that crops up in the novel causes reactions in people. Harry, Harry's behavior, let's say. Of course, it's misdirected anger in a sense, you know, and it all comes back on her. So it just adds to her pressure as the mother mm. in the story. Yeah. So... You're riffing on the, the anxiety and the fear of motherhood in a sense. And again, we've already said, you know, you're drawing people into the novel with that because we're all getting that. And we're all starting to react and think, well, how would I react in that situation? What would I do? And of course, that's the essence of a good psychological thriller is that it draws on that emotion. I mean, so that's what you're doing, really. Is it channeling those everyday worries yeah, into I think the worst case scenario? Yeah, certainly in Safe at Home, it was definitely about taking something that I felt 
I was going through and that I think all parents have to make that choice at some point you you cannot realistically not leave your child home alone until they're 18 it's just that isn't the way the world works and it isn't going to really help them at the end of the day so there is always this question um, that, that I think parents face on or what age is it okay and what could go wrong and how can we make sure that that doesn't go wrong in that situation and um, yeah for me it, it was a book uh, as you said about anxiety and I actually wrote it uh, during the first lockdown that I think I started writing it maybe two weeks before lockdown hit. And then I had all this anxiety that I think a lot of people had where you're checking the news every 10 minutes and you have you don't really know what's happening. And there is a lot of worry. And I think when I read it Safe at Home back when it was the page proofs, I felt like I poured all of my worry about lockdown into the story and all that juggling of um, homeschool and kids and work, I think, is, is in those pages as well. Yeah, I get the sense of that. First of all, I mean, does that, that Harry's perspective also reflects on the child's perspective of it, doesn't it? Because this is an incredibly difficult time for children with COVID. Yeah, it certainly has been, I think, um, for them and for my kids as well. I mean, you know, it's managing their boredom. It's it's making sure they're mm. doing their work and just trying to keep them so sort of sane, really. I don't think they no one really appreciated until it happened how important it is for them to socialise. Um, and I felt really sorry for the, the babies that have been born that then have had a year of not seeing any mm. other babies. That just must have really affected them. Um, so I was really lucky in a sense that my children were... 10 and 9 at the time so uh, they were really quite a good age to understand what was going on and it was hard but it wasn't as hard as them being mm. younger I think I think it's fair to say though that the, a lot of the burden for this has fallen on women I mean <laughs> yeah. you know if you look at yourself you've got your job you've got the kids then you've got their education which suddenly you become responsible for in totality as well it's 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 quite a well it is it's an amazing burden to put on people and and there's no recognition for that either is there no, I think women uh, will generally do carry. I don't like to generalise, but uh, from my experience, uh, women do carry the burden of motherhood and uh, parenting um, with like the it's the little worries that I think um, not, it's not always seen by both parents. I think someone takes on the smaller worries yeah. of like maybe the kid's emotional development and things like that, which um, for me, it's definitely fell on my shoulders. Um but yeah, it, it, it was a hard time for all of us. Yeah. How was it with the writing then? I oh, mean, you said it feeds in, but, but you know, what was it like? So I, in the first lockdown, I was very dedicated. So I uh, woke up at five. I wrote right. uh, for three hours and then I got myself up. Homeschool started at nine um, and finished at about 2.30. And during that time, I was there with them. I was teaching them. And we were having PE and breaks. I was full on crazy mum's zone. And then 2.30 <laughs> would rock up and I'd send them off to go and have some technology. And that's when I would then go back to writing. Um, but obviously that you can't do that level of work um, and that uh, sort of emotional toll for very long. So I think I did that for about five or six weeks. And then we started to try and find some more balance, which worked for them and for me. So, um, yeah, I managed, but I mean, it's just, it's not that different from the summer holidays, which, you know, is an, a thing that happens every year for me. So every year there's six weeks where I'm, I would like to take it off, but I end up having to do structural edits like I did this summer holidays. And it's a case of juggling it and trying to feel like you're doing everything and not always achieving it, but trying your best. Yeah, absolutely. And that's all we can all do. 
I want to talk a little bit more about motherhood. We've got on this theme now, and I'm thinking about you in particular, um, and a dichotomy that, that crops up. The first thing is, you said it gave you the confidence to write. Can you explain a little bit about that, please? Absolutely. So um, I, as I said, didn't really like working in offices, and I never really found my career uh, and I wasn't very good at it and I probably didn't try hard enough and um, some might say but I was quite is there young. any chance your old employer will be listening to this by the way <laughs> no not at all they won't even remember <laughs> me um, so I and I moved jobs every 10 minutes <laughs> so because I, oh, right, okay. on, I wasn't that good um, <laughs> but I um, yeah I think I had kids what I had Tommy when I was 26 got married when I was 25 and had Tommy when I was 26 and so I was relatively young to have children mm. but and so I hadn't really got on my way with my career I didn't have confidence I didn't I didn't really I wasn't any, any good at anything there was nothing I did that I felt like I shone at and then I had a baby and suddenly there was something I was good at and there was something that I really enjoyed doing mm -hmm. and then we had another one quite quickly and motherhood taught me um that I was good at something and it also taught me that actually right. we're all in the same boat like if you're going to meet a CEO at a meeting he'll have been changing nappies the same as you mm. he'll have had poo explosion the same as you have you know it made me feel like we were suddenly on an equal playing field and it gave me the confidence to realize that I could be anyone really and achieve anything so I yeah I'm always grateful for that that's really interesting because I'm used to asking the question from the opposite angle which is you know sort of in a sense how difficult is it working around motherhood and at the same time trying to be a writer? And of course, you did explain that a little bit earlier. But how well then can you walk away from it? You know, how well can you keep your worlds delineated, if you like? Uh, well, I mean, that, you know, I'm thinking as well that there's that sort of darkness in the writing as well. Can you just walk away from it? That's what I'm saying. Well, I have some noise cancelling headphones, which I bought in the first lockdown, which really helped <laughs> me step away, I would say. Um, and and the sense of some child will come and put their hand on your shoulder as you're writing and you're like, ah, what's going on? Um, sorry, I've lost my train of thought there. Um, it is easier sometimes than others. And at the moment, the children are at school. Um, and so it is quite easy really I feel like I've got my whole days to myself um right. so at the moment I would say that it's not the children that are keeping me from writing it's just myself and my ability to find anything else to do um, I'm struggling with concentration quite a lot at the moment uh and so I'm trying to set myself some stricter writing um schedules to sort right. of keep myself focused um but yeah sometimes they are a big distraction and sometimes they're not. And I think that we've, I've, I think lockdown has taught me not to be precious about my writing time and mm. my schedule. And if I've got half an hour and only half an hour, then I can write in that time. Whereas I think before I think, well, it's already nine o'clock and I've not written a word. So that's the day gone, you know? So it, it, it has helped me learn how to use my time better sometimes. Mm. And what about walking away from the darkness? Is it easy to do that? Oh, um, I think I have a very dark imagination and I have to work very hard to keep myself in check because otherwise I will think uh, bad things are happening or will be about to happen all the time. So mm. it's important for me to sometimes put uh, the rabbit hole, block it off because once I've dropped down into it, it can be um, quite a dark place. 
Um, I do write, I have just started actually writing some romances again, um, just to give myself a slight break in the dark stuff. And I do quite enjoy that as well. Um, and they're sort of family themed romances. So not almost not really a boy right. meets girl uh, situation. So that's quite different. So switching genres. Is, but stuff that you're going to work up into full novels. This is stuff for publication. Yeah, yeah so oh, they're yeah, coming yeah, out. Right. They have okay. two, two novels coming out next year. If I write the second one, still <laughs> haven't quite got around to that yet. Um, so I think that helps to take a step back and um, have a bit of a change of scene but if I'm honest I love the darkness and I love the dark books so I don't really mind not stepping away too much yeah do you think that that thing about um always seeing the bad side is kind of a protection you know when you get a family I mean I remember somebody saying to me once that um she was a proper daredevil would do anything but when she had children she sort of there was something in her then that suddenly said no you can't do that or don't think about doing that. And it just occurred to me that maybe that was just a natural process. You're a mother now. You've got other people to look after. You need to be responsible. And somewhere that's in the back of your mind. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it has uh, having children has just fed my dark imagination with a lot more opportunities to jump down rabbit holes. Um, but I'll just go on a dog walk and I won't even be thinking about the kids. And I'll be thinking about I'll hear a gunshot because someone's hunting pheasants or something. And I'll think, <laughs> oh, what if I accidentally get shot here? And it's just like, what would happen? And, oh, look, there's a van over there with, and it's unmarked. It's got no markings on it. Right. So that's that. I'm about, I'm about to be kidnapped or someone else is being kidnapped. You know, it's just that's just how my mind works, unfortunately. So perhaps I shouldn't ever have gone into the dark writing, but I do just love it. <laughs> well, it sounds like you've got plenty of room for material to put in the book. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm never sure of your ideas. <laughs> the story uh, is quite complex in the way it's structured because you've got these different perspectives and you've got the time shifts and a, and a little bit of social media and interview thrown in there as well, actually. So there's different mix up in the narrative. Um, I'm curious about two things. We'll get to balance of narrative because you've got Harry's short sections and, and Anna's long sections, so they're, they're very different. But was it a linear process? Do you write the book this way is what I'm trying to get at, really? You know, does it sort of flow naturally? No, it doesn't. I don't write it in any kind of order. Right. I um, have Scrivener, which is, for anyone listening who doesn't know, is a um, writing um, software that is very useful for authors Mm. and it helps organize the scenes so on the left hand side I'll have every different scene and I'll have it color coded on Anna's scenes and Harry's Mm. scenes and social media Um, and it's very similar I'll have plotted it out on post-it notes on my wall and then I'll have moved it over to Scrivener and because I'm really keen to keep my word count going um, if I feel like I've reached as many words I'm going to reach in that scene and I need to edit it but I'm also 500 words short I'll just jump down to another scene that I know I'm quite excited to write or I'll get an idea for that scene and I'll think of the conversation. And so I'll pour out probably about 40 or 50,000 words just by jumping back and forth. And then I have to go through it and kind of tidy it all up. So I don't write uh, in any particular fashion. And particularly in this book, I think the newspaper uh, interviews and the social media, I think was, was added in slightly later as well. And actually all of Harry's present scenes were added in on like the third structural edit round that I've done because it was felt that it would have some more balance so originally when I wrote it it was just what was happening to Anna in the present and what happened to Harry in the past but uh it was felt 
through my editors and they were completely right that it would be better to have Harry in the present as well and have that balance, uh, which mm. is why it's so important to have good editors, I think. So I can't take all the credit, but um, I certainly think it made the book a lot stronger. Oh, no, I, I think anybody who doesn't listen, and I have heard people talk about examples of authors who don't listen, uh, <laughs> would be very foolish. <laughs> yes, absolutely, um, yeah. Some very good books have come with with that little extra input and it just changes things around a little bit. It's, I'm curious you say that because I was talking to somebody who said um, that they were using Scrivener and the point was that they had two perspectives, two sisters, and they wanted to keep them even, you know, and it gave them an idea, a quick color coding that you can sort of see straight away Absolutely. so much of this and so much of that. But there's a difference here, which is that Anna's is the main story. And, of course, you can't put very big bits of a Harry story in. They have to add to the tension. Yeah, at the same time, you can't explain very much. So was that difficult? I think I'd maybe try to do every three scenes. I'd then put a different colour in, which would be Harry. So um, it wasn't always three. Sometimes it was two, depending on the length of the chapters and what was happening. But I could quite easily see where one was needed um, or, or if one was too close to another one. And that mm-hmm. was what was great about Scrivener. I, I was often, I don't know how many times I did it, but I was constantly moving the scenes around because it's just so easy to do. Uh, and that's that's how I work, I think, as, as mm-hmm. much as anything. I think what I should explain to people there, actually, is the reason I say that Harry's have to be short is because the answers lie in Harry's account. And yes. so if, if we had too much from Harry, it would explain things and then... That would yeah, so she she only has her, it's really just little 10-minute bursts of her in the past and what's going on, yes. Yeah. So how organic is the story for you then? Because it has to come across as totally organic from a reader's point of view, you know. Well, I am a planner, so... Right, the, I've seen that, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I don't know the answer, really. I plan to um, every scene, and as I'm writing it, if I start to feel a bit bored, I'll realise I need something else in there and we'll throw something else in. But for the most part, I will plan out scene by scene by scene. And then I will just, it's almost like a colour by numbers thing. I'll just start writing. Um, and I think for some authors that takes the fun out of it. But for me, I love it. I think it keeps me on track and I can quickly visualise the the story arc just by where I've planned things to happen. Mm. And the characters are very reactive. They have to be reactive because that's the whole point. You want to see how they do react to the situations, isn't it? Yeah, I think when I first wrote Anna, she was, as you say, reactive. And I wanted to make sure that she, I think my editor might have described her as being a bit of a hand wringer. <laughs> so <laughs> to strip back some of that anxiety. And she she was reacting too much to what was going on and she wasn't perhaps being um, proactive enough and actively yes. looking at what was going on. And so that was something that was very much on my mind when I wrote the next book, uh, book four, which is out next year, um, where I wanted to make sure that my characters were really driving the story a lot more. Mm. Well, okay then, but let's just stick with Safe at Home at the moment. Oh, yeah, don't, I can't tell you anything about the next book because I might okay. still like that rejected at structural edits. <laughs> well, well, we'll try and see if we can work a way around saying something, but saying nothing if you like. Oh, I can tell you a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in, in the thing is, Often books in the psychological field are very much based on their twists. And it, it, if you get that wrong, it can be a problem. What I think is that if the twists don't have a logical consistency, it's a big problem. So is there, I mean, how do the twists come to you? You know, is that just a natural thing? 
Because that, that's, just... I want to make it clear that's very much not the case in this book. The whole point about these <laughs> twists is that they are logically consistent and they do uh, throw you as a reader, make you work harder, if you like. Yeah, thank you. I think often I'll have, when I first get the seed of an idea, I'll have the opening scene and yeah. I'll have the twist at the end and then it's a case of filling in the middle. I wouldn't start writing a book unless I felt I, I had an end that could really justify all that pace and tension right. up to the end. So for me, uh, like for instance, I just shouldn't talk about this, but book four, um, I know we try to talk about Save at Home, but with my next book, it was an idea I have had for years, like about seven or eight years, but right. I couldn't see the ending I couldn't see where where the twists were going to come and what that story was going to be. And then it came to me and then it, it it was written. So I waited on that one for quite a long time. So for me, I think the end and the beginning all have to come at the very start of the idea. And then the rest of the story builds from there. Mm. And how does that work then with clues and red herrings? Do you enjoy that? Yes, I love doing that. And I, I love, um, I've got a beta reader, my friend in the village, Catherine Jones, is like the one of the first people to read the book. So she's a real eagle-eyed proofreader. So she finds all the places where I've missed words out and misspelt things and right. put the wrong things in. And uh, I love it because she'll come up to me and say, I'm getting so used to your books now, Lauren. So where I already know it's him. It's him, isn't it? And I just thought like, oh yes, you've just fallen into that trap. <laughs> um, so yeah, I love putting red herrings in and feel, get very grumpy if any of my beta readers catch on too soon. But that's the point of having beta readers. Um, if, if they catch on too soon, then you know you need to add in right. a little bit more to mm. make it less obvious. Yeah, because they're obviously very experienced readers, so they understand the genre and the way it works. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, my husband isn't an experienced uh, reader or uh, or he doesn't read in the genre at all, but I think he's just someone removed. So I think it's as long as it's someone who you can trust to give you feedback and who is close enough to uh, be able to tell you when you're doing something wrong. Because I think one of the issues with having your friends and family read your books is that they're just going to want to tell you, it's really great, I loved this one, which is really mm, nice to hear, yeah, but yeah. actually isn't helpful. So I'm always looking for people to be honest with me so that I can make it better. Must be a bit scary, though, putting it out there. I watched um, the the pitch, that's the word. Yeah, I watched the pitches at um, Bloody Scotland. And that's a, that's a hell of a thing. You've got three editors or book company people there you know and uh, you've got to just have three minutes and it says right sell me your book yeah that that is really scary I'm glad to say I've never done it but I have done agent one-to-ones in the past when I was searching for an agent um, and I think it's a really fantastic exercise and going back to how I write now because uh, the tagline that that sort of that one that one sentence idea has become so important to editors and mm. uh, the booksellers. Um, everyone wants to know in one sentence what that book's about. And so when I'm thinking of an idea, I come up with that first. And if I can't come up with something that I think sounds amazing in one sentence, again, I probably wouldn't write it because I, I am a commercial fiction writer. And in this current climate, that tagline, that that sort of plot has to be really strong in order to for books to sell, I, th- I believe. so. Yeah, no, I, I think I accept that. Do you think that readers are more savvy even, you know, that, that because the books have been getting more complicated in a sense too, haven't they? Or we've been assuming that readers know what, they're, what they want. 
Yeah, I, I think it's hard to look back and remember what it was like to be a reader without having all the knowledge of the industry mm. and just to pick up a book and be like, oh, this was good. I enjoyed it. Uh, and then never think about it again and never think about who the author is and the other work they've done on it and things like that. Um, right. But most people are like that. Um, so I think, um, I don't know, I think sometimes the publishing industry build uh, make too much of a thing of say a debut or oh, is it a debut author because I, I think readers probably just don't care readers just want a great book that they're gonna yeah. be lost in and who the author is I don't think matters to them I think if they can find an author they like they'll look for the next book but for them it's just about being being entertained which is what writing is it's a form of entertainment and uh while while I love it so much and it's everything to me that that's what it is it is entertainment Oh, yeah, and that's not to be sniffed at, though, when you say that. <laughs> no, not at all, no. Um, so what's next? And this is where we get to the question. Well, let's start with this question then, because you can do it without answering the specifics. You said it's been gestating for seven to eight years, the idea. Yes, it was. Does it periodically yeah. come back then, or or is it that you yeah, just suddenly got this bolt of lightning? It. Yeah, so this is so book four. Uh, so I had the idea um, when I was I was brought into school, um, into my children's school, and given an internet safety talk so that I could make sure I was being safe for children. And I had this, and I learned about this um, this computer soft, well, this website called um, Chat Roulette it was called then. There's different ones now where you can just go on and chat to anybody random in anywhere in the world right. and that blew my mind you don't need a login detail you don't need anything you can just go on and I knew that there was a story there and I had like the whisperings of the first idea for it but I couldn't see where the rest of the story went um and but then eventually I did and that's become book four basically right. so still no title <laughs> so uh yes that's written and then what's next is I have also written another book I've written book five um right. so we just waiting to see what happens there with that one uh so yeah lot, lots lots of prolific writing going on at the moment this year this year's been a, a busy one i'd say it sounds like it i think this is thing that readers don't necessarily understand because of course writers are writing way in advance i'm asking you about <laughs> a book that you wrote in Two, the actually three year. books ago yeah now yeah um, so i can imagine it, it gets quite difficult remembering which one is which yeah, it does sometimes, I think. But um, I think Safe at Home still feels really fresh in my mind. I think because it was a book that really came from, it felt very close to my own life that I feel like I, I know it very well. Mm. But yeah, but I might remember. Sorry. I was say, I've probably forgotten some of the name of the characters, though, so don't test me too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it reminds me, I left one thing off, actually, just about the village itself. Mm. Where you live, is it a lovely place? I live in a lovely village, yeah, just on the Suffolk of Essex borders, um, which, uh, yeah, it's beautiful. It's as described in the book. So even though I fictionalised the the uh, village name and called it Barton St. Martin, my yeah. own village is that village. And it, it is as lovely as described. And it's surrounded by beautiful countryside and nothing bad ever happens here <laughs> so far. <laughs> so the people aren't like, or some of the people are not like they are in the book. No, um, but um, the... Uh, mums of the village I haven't had yet the feedback on whether they've enjoyed it or found it a bit too close <laughs> to home so I, I'm wondering if I might get um sort of chased out of the village and have to move yeah you, I don't think so get shunned at the school gate or something <laughs> yeah yeah well luckily actually I don't go to the school gates anymore as my children are that little bit older so I've, I've managed to oh yeah 
because that's the other thing you got to negotiate when they're old enough to go to school on their own. First yeah, of all, when they're old enough not to hold hands. Yes, well, we're lucky to live opposite the school, so I can see the school gates from my house. So I feel quite confident in letting them walk to school and back. <laughs> oh well, that's good. And you mentioned because we've been talking about reading as well as writing. You mentioned that um, you do uh, as much reading as somebody who writes can actually. But um, would you recommend a book? What have you read recently that you really enjoy? Ooh. Doesn't have to be a thriller, by the way. I can recommend. Um, so I've just read two books that I really loved and want to talk about to everybody. The first right. one is called The Verdict by C.J. Cooper. I can't hold it up because it was on my Kindle, but it is a story about um, a it starts off with a trial um, where a juror um, has to make a decision on whether she thinks someone's guilty or not. And she worries she's made the wrong decision and it becomes sort of her, she becomes quite obsessed with trying to find out the truth behind this crime. Um, and right. it, the, what makes that book amazing is the main character is just uh, absolutely brilliant and completely surprising and her the characterization just blew me away in that book so yeah the verdict by cj cooper i couldn't recommend anymore and the second one which i finished yesterday was called 56 days um and i think it's oh i should know this but i think it's by Catherine ann howard and it's a story about lockdown and i couldn't believe that uh, someone had written a lockdown thriller and i I haven't touched on lockdown at all in any of my books and still don't want to. And I was worried about reading it because I thought I might find it. It's too soon, perhaps, but actually it yeah. isn't too soon. And it was beautifully written and so exciting. And the way they added in all the elements of lockdown and still managed to create this tense thriller was spot on. Absolutely brilliant. So that was 56 days. So I could recommend those two books easily. Great. I'll leave a note of those on, on the page as well so that people can Thank see Thank you. That. Yeah, it's, that's interesting um, about lockdown because I'm assuming that an awful lot of writers were hoping it would just go away. And if it went away, you'd never, ever have to write about it. But it's going to be something. I mean, for instance, you don't have to write about lockdown. But if you wrote about an office or you wrote about a police station or something like that, you know, in the future, there's going to be a point where if we've still got measures in place, you're going to have to indicate it in some way anyway. Yeah, everyone's working from home now, so an office psychological thriller is not quite, quite so easy to write. <laughs> yeah. So, well, it might be something we'll have to worry about in the future, but we'll see. I, I don't know. I, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's ever too close, though, personally. I'm never bothered by the thought that something is, you know, happening so you can't write about it. No, it I, I agree What you're writing about is, is about things that happen anyway. I know in an yeah. extreme situation, but if it, wasn't, if it didn't feel real, it wouldn't work. No, that's very true. And at, so far, I would say I haven't mentioned lockdown in any of my books. Uh, whether I do in the future, I don't know. I'm, I think I'm, I'm quite happy at the moment to suspend reality and just have a world where there's no COVID, no pandemic. But as you say, the longer it goes on, the less realistic that feels. So it's certainly getting to a point where I might have to change my mind on that one. Mm. But it, it doesn't have to be central to the plot or anything. You know, I don't think, I mean, that would become tedious. It would become... Yeah, when everyone's <laughs> still yeah. in their PJs and yeah. having not gone out of the house for two weeks. We really don't need that. Uh, no. Lauren, that's been absolutely fabulous. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Paul. I've really enjoyed the questions. A big thank you to Lauren for that interview and for you for listening. Thank you very much. Safe at Home is available now. I'll be back with another interview very shortly.
But for now, bye.